Welcome back to the Home Bible Study Podcast. Uh, We are quickly approaching the Thanksgiving holidays. I hope that everybody gets to enjoy those, that it's full of blessing and remembrance and things to be thankful about. We certainly have plenty of that. I'm very thankful for the study in Hebrews. Uh, I've wanted to study this uh, for quite some time, and I've enjoyed the study so far. Now, the last time we finished up in Hebrews chapter 9, and now we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 10. A lot of the things that we've studied prior to now are going to be summed up, um, hopefully in a way that makes sense to you. We have to keep in mind the setting, uh, the writing, the time that this was written, the people that it was originally written to, and the things that were going on. It was a very troublesome time for the nation Israel and for Jewish people in general. Um, They needed an understanding of what was going on. We have so much knowledge now as far as uh, the study of the word. We have the prophecy of Daniel that breaks down all the great empires that were to rise in the time of the Gentiles and all those things we have, we can look back and it makes perfect sense to us uh, from that standpoint. But where they were at that time, they were a bit confused. Their understanding was that when the Messiah came, when Jesus came, he was going to, you know, set everything right. He was going to establish his kingdom on earth and they were going to enjoy a thousand years of peace under his reign. They did not understand or know about the church or the that there would be a first advent and a second advent. So there was some confusion. And so they needed light and understanding. And they needed this letter specifically to them to give them that. The good thing is for us is that it's the same light that we need. The same instruction that we need, they needed. And it's just as pertinent today as it was then because we fight the same battles today that they fought. Uh, That has not changed throughout history. So the more we receive, the more light we receive, the more responsibility we have. And I believe that the church has a great responsibility, those of us who are saved, to live a life that glorifies God. And in the world that we live in, the world that they lived in, that was very challenging. So with that said, let's keep that in mind and understand that although some of these things to us may be kind of the ABCs, like we clearly understand in light of the whole of scripture where um, this falls. But at the time it was given, there was much confusion. And there are people today, you know, I don't want to take for granted. There's people today that don't understand the Old Testament, books like Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and how critical and important the understanding of those books are to um, a deeper understanding of the love that's in the Lord Jesus and in what he has accomplished on our behalf. Um, So with that said, uh, let's jump into um, Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to go ahead and read the entire chapter Um, and we'll just go from there. Uh, I'm reading from the King James Version, uh, starting with verse 1. For the law 
having a shadow of good things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have been no more conscious of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, and he that he may establish the second. By the by the which will by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected ever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil which is to say his flesh and having a high priest over the house of god let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised and i'll go ahead and stop there at verse 23 because that's a uh, quite a bit uh, uh, for us to consider and uh, I don't know that we'll even get that far because there's so much here to digest and there's a temptation on my part I'm going to tell you to just kind of glaze over some of these things because um, you know I'm very familiar with them but I have to remember that there was a time when I was not and there may be somebody listening who is not, and I don't want you to miss any of the goodness that's found in these verses, any of the goodness that I'm able to point out uh, in my um, feeble ability. But I trust the God, the Holy Spirit, will take my offering and make it to be something more significant. So um, we get into the, in this chapter ten where. We've been in the previous chapters also, we've been focusing on the law. We've been focusing on the priesthood and comparing the priesthood of the Lord Jesus 
uh, in the order of Melchizedek to the priesthood of Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. And there's some similarities. There's some similarities in practice, but not in position. That's a good way to put it. Uh, there's, there's things that are practiced by priests in general, but Jesus uh, is uh, in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, he's a high priest forever. So he's the only one and he's an eternal high priest. Whereas the Levitical priesthood had a high priest that was chosen once a year. They served that purpose and then that position was relinquished to someone else. But the Lord Jesus is a high priest forever. So we've been seeing a lot of um, comparisons. And even uh, we brought in, in uh, previous verses, there was brought in the picture of the tabernacle and how that it was a picture of the Lord Jesus. Uh, the word tabernacle, uh, it just means to um, kind of... Uh, to be in the presence of. So the tabernacle was God's presence uh, with the people. And as they that tent was taken down and moved, it moved as God ordered them to move. So that tabernacle, unlike the temple, was a uh, more of a picture of the Lord Jesus in all of its, um, you know, the things that were a part of making it, the acacia wood, the silver spoke of redemption, uh, the furniture, the holy place versus the holy of holy, holy place. You had the outside area with the brazen altar that there's no coming to the holiness of God until sin was dealt with. And that's dealt with at the brazen altar. So with that in mind, uh, let's kind of keep that in mind as we look as the writer draws more. Uh, comparisons to the law and the old worship to this new worship and uh, that would have been very hard to take the last lesson I talked about how that the uh, Old Testament uh, and the New Testament are not divided correctly in the Bible um, the it's God divided it correctly but the those people who were the publishers of the Bible made the New Testament start with the Gospels. But actually, the New Testament, as it was established in the previous chapter 9, did not start until uh, Pentecost. So a testament does not go into effect until after the death of a person. And so once Jesus died, the New Testament uh, came into effect. The New Testament that was prophesied to come came into effect. And then here, the writer to the Hebrews is announcing that New Testament and giving instruction as to what it's based on, how that it follows uh, the prophecy that was given, how that it parallels the worship that they um, had before, and how that Jesus supersedes anything that came before. And that's what Hebrews is about. It's talking about the better things, the heavenly things that um, have been awarded to the church. So here we start in verse uh, one of chapter 10, and he's going to start with the law. And he's going to talk about how the law worked as opposed to how 
uh, and how it worked with those people in the past and how that it worked with the nation Israel as opposed to what we have now in Christ. Um, verse one says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So what does that mean? Well, basically what that's saying is that the law was incomplete. The law was never meant to take away sin. The law really never dealt finally with sin. The law acknowledged sin, and it also acknowledged the righteousness of God in light of sin. And it was a, um, the law itself reflects the righteousness of God. Because we would not know what righteousness is apart from God telling us. We are, since the fall of Adam, under the curse of sin. And the thing is, is that that's the funny thing about sin. If you go to an average person and you ask them what it is, you would get a myriad of answers as to what sin is. And I think in the day that we live to today, people have a much more watered down version of what sin is. Um, and sin is, you know, murder. Uh, sin is something that's extreme. But actually, sin has a much larger role in our everyday lives than we even recognize. And that's what the law did, is it made the people under the old covenant, the first covenant, to realize the presence of sin in their everyday lives. That was the purpose of the law. Um, those sacrifices that they presented, that they offered year by year, and that's a reference to the set. They had sacrifices, all kinds of sacrifices for every kind of sin. Uh, this is listed in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus. But um, those sacrifices were given not to deal with the sin itself, but to point to the fact that sin exists and that it needed to be dealt with. Um, and they had to continually offer these sacrifices. Uh, at some point, it must have become quite burdensome to the nation Israel to do that, but it was a part of their worship. It was something that God had established and he did it for a reason. In verse two, he says, for then would they have not ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purge should have no more conscience of sin. So he's making a point to say that the law didn't deal with sin once and for all, because if it did, they wouldn't have to continually come and present these sacrifices. Because if the law and those sacrifices were enough, then they would have not had to be offered over and over again. Right. And the people who were worshiping God, because that's what the sacrifices were, they were 
obedience to God, to his word, to his will. And there was an act of worship to bring that sacrifice, right? So why would they continually have to do that if those sacrifices were uh, sufficient? But they were not because it says that because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin, but they did have a conscience of sin, right? We know that. So we know that the law was not uh, capable of removing sin. And really, that's the problem. That's the problem that you have. That's the problem that I have. That's the problem with the entire world. Any issues that you see on the news, between at your job, between your you and your spouse, your friends, your family, it all it all boil it all boils down to sin. That is the core issue, the core problem with mankind is we have a sin nature. And the curse of sin has infected the entire universe. And so there's no escaping it. You know, you cannot go into deep space, Mr. Elon Musk, and get away from the sin nature. Uh, it's still going to be there. You can go to the highest height, the lowest depth. It doesn't matter. Sin is present. So sin has to be dealt with. And there's only one way to deal with that, as we're going to see in verse three, the contrast is made. It says, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. So the very fact that they had to go and present these sacrifices uh, was a reminder of the fact that sin had not been dealt with. And that was the purpose of the sacrifices to remind us. Of sin. So you say, well, if sin is present everywhere and it's all over the universe. Why would we need to be reminded of it? That's a good question. You should ask yourself that. I should ask myself that. But we do need to be reminded of it. In verse 4 For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. That's the bottom line. Bulls and goats cannot take away sin. So then if, if, so if bulls and goats can't take away sin, then what was the purpose? Simply to be reminded of the fact that sin exists? No, I think it goes deeper than that. The purpose of the sacrifices not only reminded us of our sin and God's righteousness, but it also allowed us to maintain a relationship with God. Okay. God established the relationship with man. It was not the other way around. Uh, Moses didn't go looking for God. Okay. Abraham didn't go looking for God. After Adam sinned, Adam and Eve, they didn't go looking for God. God went and found them. And that's the way it works. We don't, no man seeks after God. No, not even one. We don't. Sin causes us not to seek after God. But God has established this relationship with these people, the nation Israel, and he knew that sin was going to be a problem. That sin separates man from God. And so to deal with that problem, 
God gave these sacrifices so that we can address sin and we can preserve a relationship with God because that's the whole purpose of the Bible. That's the purpose of all the things that he did with the nation Israel, with the individuals that led up to that nation and why he's dealing with people today. That's why he has me uh, recording this lesson because God is interested in preserving the relationship. We aren't. So when, when he causes us to study his word and gives us an understanding of his uh, love, his grace, his righteousness, it's him preserving that relationship. Because if he didn't preserve it by God, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, there would be no relationship. There's a lot of songs that I hear about, you know, how that, you know, if I go here and I go there, God, you're with me and you'll come and get me in spite of the uh, 99 sheep. If I was the one that was lost, you'll come find me. So the understanding is there. We know that God is preserving the relationship. It's not us. There's nothing that we can do that can please God. He has done all this for us. He is the one preserving the relationship. And this is how he did it in, under the old covenant through these sacrifices. For it's not possible for blood, the blood of bulls and goats uh, should take away sins. It just can't happen. That is not the purpose of those sacrifices to take away sins. Verse five, wherefore, because of this, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. So, because there's no way, the weakness of the old covenant uh, sacrifices, they could not deal with sin once and for all. The Lord Jesus has dealt with this once and for all. And back in eternity past, um, I mentioned at the beginning of this study, the eternal decree. Uh, the father would choose a people to bring to himself. The son would redeem those people. And God, the Holy Spirit, would seal those people and deliver them unto the father. Here we see the, the son's part in that eternal decree. Right. Um, wherefore, when he cometh into the world and we know that he came into the world, uh, we know that that's these people saw him. They grew up with him. They saw him crucified and they saw him resurrected and they sat and they ate with him and they are witnesses of his return. So this goes without saying for them. Uh, wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. So we've come to um, a very special part of the letter of he to the Hebrews. You have to understand that the Bible as a whole, the more you study it, you're going to find that 
the Bible is really one message told through several different voices, um, def several different time periods, but there's one overarching message. And it started in the garden when God told Adam and Eve uh, that there was going to be a man born of the woman who would once and for all end the um, curse of sin. And from that point on, Eve looked to every child that was born to be that one. Uh, I think that's why in the nation Israel, it was so important that a woman bear a son, you know, because they knew that that was a priority. And the further and further they get away from Eve in the original message, I'm sure the, the why that was important kind of got lost. But it was always very important that a woman bear a son in the nation Israel. And uh, this is why. And Jesus is that one that was told to come. And it says that he came into the world and he came to his own and they received him not. Uh, and we know that. Um, but their rejection, the nation Israel's rejection of the Lord Jesus turned out to be our blessing because now we have the new covenant and the church age and we benefit from um, their rejection of him, how much more will their acceptance of him be? That's what uh, Paul says. So we know that um, he was given a body, that a body was prepared for him. But this is not just uh, a simple reference here to the fact that he came as a man and died as a man so that men might be saved. There's, there's more here than just that. Um, there's a verse in Psalms. Let's see. Let me turn there now so that we can see and I can maybe make sense of this. Um, the Bible as a whole is like a poem. It's really poetry. The more you study it, the more you're going to see that it's just like this continuous poetry. So this next section is referencing uh, this Psalm, uh, Psalm 40. And if you go to Psalm 40, starting in verse six, um, the God, the Holy Spirit is quoting this Psalm sacrifice and offering. Thou didst not desire mine ears hast thou opened burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will. O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. So what we're about to study is referencing here. Psalm 40 verses six uh, and seven. I would say six, seven and eight. So the key to this verse is where it says in verse six, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire mine ears thou hast opened. What does that mean? What does it mean that their ears are open? 
Well, what that means, he says, he says, my ears thou hast pierced. That's what that's referring to. And that refers back to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, I believe it's 15. One moment. Now, here in Deuteronomy 15, uh, there's a law regarding slaves. It starts around verse 12. And it says, if thy brother... A Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman be sold unto thee and serve thee six years. Then in the seventh year thou shalt let them go free. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally and out of thy flock and out of thy floor and out of thy winepress of that which the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Thou shalt give unto him. Okay. And thou shalt remember that thou was a bondman in the land of Egypt and the Lord God redeemed redeem thee. Therefore, I command thee this thing today. So that was the law. You couldn't keep a slave forever. Somebody said, okay, I'm so poor that the only thing I can do is become your servant. Uh, so that, and we had something like that. It's called indentured servitude. And you say, okay, I'll be your slave for um, uh, a period of time. Uh, they can only do that for a period of time. It can be forever, as it says here. It says you can do that. They can serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, they'll go free. But there is a condition, starting in verse 16. It's a very interesting condition that I think ties all this together that I'm trying to tell you about this, what it says in Psalm when he says, you pierced my ear. And it says in verse 16, and it shall be if he, the slave, say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee in thine house, because he is well with thee, then thou shalt take an awl, which is like, you know, uh, a metal uh, spike, and thrust it through his ear unto the doorpost. And he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. Okay? So basically what this means is that if it turns out that he wants to stay in your house because he has uh, fallen in love with um, uh, a, a woman in your house that's a slave and he wants to stay with that woman and he doesn't want to leave her, then he can become a slave forever because he fell in love with this, this bride. If he falls in love with a woman who is a slave and she cannot leave, then he would go and have this done. He would go and say, okay, pierce my ear. And that ear piercing would be the mark that he would be the slave to um, this master forever because he loves the woman and wants to be with her. And if you carry this analogy all the way out, you'll see that the church is that woman. That's why in the psalm, in the psalm he says, uh, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ear hast thou opened. And the Lord Jesus is saying here that he has taken his, the piercing came so that we, the church, might be his forever. And he is forever tying himself 
to us. That's why when you see him in the book of Revelation, which uh, reveals the post-incarnate Christ, how he looks forever, it says that he's a lamb that looks like he's been slain. So those wounds are a testament to the fact that A, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. And B, that he is ours forever, that he is preserving that relationship forever. There's no more, you know, continual uh, reminder of sin and the thing that separates us. Now we have those scars in his body that continually remind us that we are his forever. That has been settled. That's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, in verse 6, back to Hebrews in verse 6, it says, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. And this is a direct reference to that, to the psalm. Thou said, I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. So that's the important thing now. We see in the New Testament, under this new covenant, there's no longer sacrifices for sin. That's been done. Jesus is that sacrifice. He's completed that. Well, what's left? There's what pleases the Father if not those sacrifices. Because if according to this, he was never pleased with sacrifices. Those were acts of worship, but they could never satisfy uh, the demands of sin. So what does please the Father? What well, says here? To do thy will, O God. So that's what we're charged with now. We no longer have to go to an altar. We no longer have to go from altar and pass on our um, worship to priests who would then go to the holy place. And then uh, beyond that, there would be a high priest once a year that goes in the Holy of Holies. Uh, to go before the throne of God in the mercy seat. We don't have to do that anymore. All of that is gone. The only thing that Jesus asks us to do now is to do his will. That's it. The, the No blood of bulls and goats, no sacrifices, no rituals. Only th The only thing he asks us to do is the same thing that the Lord Jesus did, to do thy will, O God. That's what the Father asked us to do. And we have been given that ability, those of us who are saved, through God the Holy Spirit indwelling us and the uh, being placed positionally in Christ. That's what we have now. That is the New Testament. And that's what the writer is doing. He's trying to show these people that they have better things than what they had before. That although they've been separated from the temple worship and those people who are constantly going in there offering sacrifices and doing all those rituals without substance, he's telling them, we have the substance. All of those were just rituals. Those were shadows of the things that were to come. And now we can rejoice because he has come. You know, he has come. That's that's what we can rejoice about.
And uh, now it's time for us to please him by doing his will. In verse 8, it says, Above when he said, Sacrifice and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He take away the first, that he may establish the second. So here we see it in plain English, written out, that the new covenant has been established in the sacrifice of Christ, not the sacrifice of bulls and goats. And that obedience is more desired than sacrifice. And there's a lot of people that want to, you know, do things like, tell me what I have to do to be good. What motions do I have to go through? Um, I had somebody ask me uh, just the other day, uh, we were out and uh, together at a restaurant and he said to me, hey, should you pray before the meal comes out or should you pray when the food comes out? And it struck me to think, wow, you know, uh, what a question. And it's, the question was centered in the fact that he just wanted to do whatever was right that would please God. But God doesn't care when you pray. That's not what's important. And just like I told him, the important thing is what's behind the prayer. Are you truly thankful for what's being presented? That The, the fact that you can sit and have a meal and enjoy it and that that meal was provided to you by God. And understanding and knowing that. That's why we pray. That's why we thank him. It's not just a ritual that we go through. He doesn't care about the ritual. It's the obedience. It's that we recognize him in everything that we do. That's what's important. And if you're not recognizing the presence of God in your life, then is God in your life? That's the question you have to ask. Now, if you're a believer, you should be acknowledging in everything you do, the presence of the Lord Jesus, how that he directs every detail of your life to protect you and to minister to you, to teach you how he allows things to come into your life that are difficult for a reason. There's a purpose and it may not feel good. It may not taste good. It may not smell good, but because it's from him, it's good for us. And that's the the place that we have to get of acknowledging him. So now we see the establishment from the writer. He established the fact that the first was taken away and now there's a second. They didn't know these Hebrews didn't know the prophets in the Old Testament. They didn't know that there was going to be a second. They thought there was only going to be one. But here we have a new covenant. And so that the writer goes on to establish this new covenant and he establishes the truth of this new covenant in the following verses that come after Uh, verse 10. He says, by which we will, by which we will, we, by which (laughs) will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So, Because of this, this second, he's saying by this, we are, uh, he's establishing 
that we are all sanctified, those of us who are saved, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. There's no need for a continual sacrifice. Verse 11, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. So he's making a contrast. There's a stark contrast. He's saying Jesus sacrificed once for all. But all the other priests, the priests of the Levitical uh, priesthood, the Old Testament, they were standing there daily ministering and offering many times the same sacrifices which never dealt with sin. In verse 12, but this man, Jesus, uh, the Messiah, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So there we go. If you look at the Levitical priesthood, there was furniture in that uh, tabernacle, in that temple, but there was never chairs. They were never ceased from their work. But here we see the Lord Jesus has ceased from his work because it was a one-time sacrifice for all times. It's an eternal sacrifice with eternal um, uh, merit. With, with it, it goes from, from now to forever. Sin has been permanently dealt with in the body of Christ because he was pierced as evidence of his eternal love for us. That's why he was pierced. In verse 13, from henceforth, from, from this point on, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. So the Lord Jesus is sitting. He is sitting on the throne uh, in heaven, exalted through the heavens, actually, it says. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, the place of power, the place of exaltation. And he's sitting there with expectation. Uh, that when he was here on earth, he looked towards the cross and what would be accomplished. And now he's sitting, having his work done with the expectation of uh, his enemies being made his footstool. That's the next thing that's to happen. So he's gathering the church. He's gathering the church, all the called ones, all those whom the father called in eternity past. As they are born, they live, they're born again, and they're placed into the family of the church. And as time rolls on towards eternity, he's sitting there with expectation. Each one waiting for them to be born, waiting, watching them through their life. And then uh, on the day that's appointed for their salvation, he reveals himself to them. And from that point on, they become his. And he does nothing in their lives but shower them with love. That's what he's doing in your life. And you may not see it, but that's what he's doing. And a lot of times we take that for granted because he does shower us with so much love and blessing that we tend not to see the blessing in our lives, but to see what we think we want or need that's not there. But I guarantee you that you have everything that you need everything that he wants you to have. And he has a specific purpose for everything that comes into your life. And if you're, you don't understand that, just ask him. He'll explain it to you. And he's going to explain it to you in his word. So, uh, and he'll do it in a way that's beautiful and loving and that speaks to you in a very intimate and personal way. 
So that's, that's what Jesus is doing. He's um, sitting on his throne and he's looking he, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. That's what's going to happen. Who, who are the enemies of Christ? Well, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And as I told you before, there's no salvation for the devil, for any of the fallen angels. They, there's no redemption for them, only for man. And so he's waiting till the day that he's appointed for um, them to be made his footstool. Um, and for anyone who is unsaved, who is not a part of that uh, group of people that the Father has uh, given to the Son, then they too will be a part of that footstool. And they will be placed um, in a place of eternal torment and as a judgment for their sin. The same judgment that all men deserve, but those of us who are saved are just fortunate to be uh, the called ones, the chosen ones of the Father and given to the Son. This is the, the wisdom and the work of God, and it's for him to understand and to know why and the purpose in all things. But for those of us who are saved, it's for us to be thankful, to worship him, and to loud him as the worthy lamb that was slain on our behalf. So the father gave him a body. And he dealt with sin once and for all. And now he's sitting with expectation of his enemies being made his footstool. Uh, it's something we ought to think about, the fact that the Lord Jesus is sitting. Um, I always imagine him sitting on the throne, but he does get up from that throne. We know that. He doesn't sit there all the time. There's only one reason that I know of from Scripture that he would get up off of his throne, and that is to welcome believers that are entering heaven because we know that from Jonathan if you read the account in Acts about Jonathan it says that as they were stoning him he looked up and he saw the Lord Jesus standing waiting for him if that doesn't bless your heart I don't know what will to know that he will rise from his throne to welcome his children into his bosom what a blessing that is to think of. In verse 14, it says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So it doesn't say that we're perfected by anything that we've done. You're not perfected by knowing the Bible front to back. You're not perfected by going to church until you turn into a pew. None of those things perfect you. We are perfected, it says, by his offering. By him offering himself and his death upon the cross, his resurrection is the evidence and proof that we are perfected in Christ. He took the sin of all of those whom the Father gave him. In exchange, he gave his righteousness. 
and his perfection he gave unto us. He perfected us. All the work is always and forever done by God. We do nothing. There is nothing that you've ever done in the past or you will ever do in the future that will make you perfect, that will make you right before God. Jesus has done it all. We, are, we only respond to what he's done. That's, that's obedience. When we do things that, that he asks us to do, we study his word. Well, that's to wash us from the sin that defiles us every day. We need the word of God for that. We need to the word of God for the strength to empower us to strengthen our armor. You know, the helmet of salvation. Well, if you want a strong helmet, meditate on the things of the word. That'll protect your mind. Uh, there's a shield of faith. You know, there's a breastplate of righteousness. That's just, that's just walking in, in the truth. That's just serving him and worshiping him and being obedient. That's righteousness. That's the breastplate of righteousness. That's where it comes from. You know, our heart needs to be in line with his will. That's the breastplate of righteousness. It's very poetic, but it's very substantial. So he's the one that made us perfect, not the blood of bulls and goats, but the Lord Jesus himself. For by one offering, not many, like the Levitical priesthood had to do, but for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. That's what sanctification is, to be set apart. He set us, he set us apart unto holiness, to a purpose. We all have an individual purpose in this life that we've been set apart to. What is yours? What is your purpose? To worship him, to serve him, to glorify him? Yes. But how are you doing that? What is it that we're doing that glorifies him? I don't know. I have to ask myself that. I have to question and go to him and say, Lord, lead and show me how to do that. You know, give me guidance so that I'll know when and how and what you want me to do so that and give me the grace to be obedient because it's not in me to be obedient. You know, that's not in me in and of myself. I, I have to lean on God, the Holy Spirit. That's why earlier in Hebrews, it says, quench not the Holy Spirit, because that's the power of God in us to accomplish his will and his purpose. We are those who are saved or those who are sanctified, set apart. And now we see in Hebrews 15, uh, chapter 10, verse 15, where it was prophesied that this would come to pass, that there would be um, a, a second covenant, a, a different relationship that God would have with his people that they, you know, they just missed. The prophets, they, uh, they didn't understand it. It says that they, they longed to understand these things. And here we have God, the Holy Spirit, shedding that light upon us now that we're in this new covenant and we have this new relationship where the spirit indwells us in the old testament god the holy spirit will come upon people they would do some great act for god and then god the holy spirit would leave but we have in this um 
covenant, this new covenant in Christ and is that sealed in his blood, we have God, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Right. And that's that was prophesied. And here we see the the uh, writer of Hebrews pointing that out in verse 15. He says, wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us for after that he had said before. So he said this before. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds will I write them and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. That's the age that we live in now. We live in the age where his law and his will is written on our hearts because he he, take, he took the old heart that we had and gave us a new one in the form of God, the Holy Spirit. And so we have his word in us. You know, we can walk in his truth in a way that under the old covenant, they couldn't. They could only do it in spurts, whereas we have the continual presence and comfort of God, the Holy Spirit. So why aren't we doing the things that they did? Why aren't we accomplishing these great acts of faith when we have no excuse? We have his law written on our hearts. So we have his love written in our hearts. We, we have this. This is something that we have that we can enjoy every day and that we should be sharing with others. Other people should see in us our love of the Lord Jesus. It should cause us to radiate an energy that can be felt. Right? Whoever you interact with or wherever you go, they should be able to feel that energy. I remember when uh, I was a little kid. Ah, man, actually, I was probably a teenager. And there's a friend of mine and we went to his grandparents' house and his grandparents lived in our neighborhood. And he says, yeah, I just need to go to my grandparents' house and then we can go do whatever we're going to do. We're going to go play basketball or something. And I remember walking in the house with him and I could feel something different. There was a peace in that house like I had never felt before. And he told me, you know, his Grandparents were very religious. That's the way he described it. But I remember walking in that house and just feeling, you could feel that, that something was different. And I, I want to, I pray that that's how people feel when they come into my house. I, I pray that's how people feel when, uh, that I work with. I pray that there's something that different about me and that, uh, they put they equate that difference to uh, me being a Christian. I don't want to have to go around telling people, "Hey, I'm a Christian." I mean, I will, but the whole connotation of the word Christian in our day and age means something different to everyone. But when you walk in service and faithfulness to Him, in righteousness, uh, in submission to His will for your life. When you do that, you don't have to tell people you're a Christian. They're going to sense it. 
they're going to know that there's something different about you. And if the Lord gives you an opportunity to, if they ask you what that is, and he gives you an opportunity to tell them, you make sure you tell them. And you need to know what the word of God says so that you can tell them correctly. That's why we study. That's why we have to understand the word, who we are in Christ, what he's accomplished with his once and for all sacrifice, how that relates to the old covenant. Why do we, why do we need a new testament? Why do we need a new covenant? What does that mean? Well, the writer to the Hebrews is explaining that in detail here in chapter 10. So we're going to stop here um, and um, pick up next time in the following verses. But uh, we live in a time uh, where we're in this new covenant that he says, I will make for them after those days. We live in the latter days um, and he says i will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds will i write them we have that and i pray that uh, we would continue to study the word together that you would meditate on the things that he's done on our behalf and think about the fact that he was pierced for us and that those piercings, those marks in his body are the marks of love. That we worship a God who is exalted through the heavens, but is also so close to us that he indwells us. That we have an intimate bond and connection with him through his sacrifice. And all of that came from the father giving him a body to be pierced on our behalf. So we're going to meditate on that and see what the Lord has for us in the uh, next lesson. But I pray that this uh, causes you to be especially thankful um, this holiday, that we're thankful not just for the material blessings that we have, not just for our health and our strength, but beyond that, we're thankful for the Lord Jesus and that the Father gave his son and gave him a body that was pierced on our behalf and that we have an eternal relationship with him um, through his um, sacrifice for us. Uh, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for revealing these things to us. Thank you for enriching our lives and our service to you through the knowledge of your word. And I pray, Father, that these things would be before me, that I would walk in the light of your truth, that I would rejoice in spite of all the things that are going on, that I would rejoice. Um, I pray you'd bless us all with that joy, um, that we would be pleasing to you in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.